Tim A. Hey boys. Hello. I, I can't I can't stay too long. I got I gotta be at work at nine. But I figure I'd pop in and say hi. Pop in, rage a little bit, head on to work. <laughs> Actually I'm 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 good today. Are you? Yeah. Good deal. Generally speaking. Glad you're not right. raging? Who are you and what did you do with Tim? Um not awake yet this, either. There is actually someone there with a gun to his head. This is Tim's way of making sure that we understand he is in danger. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I can, I'm, I'll be I'll be back next week, same bat channel. But this is my work week. So, oh, I'm sorry. Well, we're glad to have you for the short period of time that we do. Yeah. Quick question about Superboy Annual number one. Uh-huh. Is it related to the Hell story or is it? It stuff? is. It is. Is that the one with the Ravager on it? No. No, Ravager doesn't make an appointment, uh, an appearance in the annual. Yeah, she does. Does she? Yeah. It, it, there's a scene where Superboy's walking with a girl with a white hand, with oh. the white hair. Yeah. That's Ravager. Like, yeah, it, in, a, it, in a panel. <laughs> yeah, in a panel. Oh, okay. <clears throat> so it was deceptive marketing. Yes and no. I mean, Son she was. A business. It's it's a reference to the romance they had in his virtual reality in like the first arc of Superman or Superboy. Oh, shoot me in the face. All right, never mind. Moving on. Is that an expression now? Ah, <laughs> oh, shoot me in the face. Ah, uh, <laughs> ever since Jimmy Olsen got shot in the face, now anybody can. <laughs> so no one read Avengers number three. <laughs> no. No. Hey, you guys didn't miss much. It was actually pretty bad. <laughs> Yeah, I'm uh, off of Uncanny and Avengers. Yeah, yeah, I was about to say, no one read Uncanny Avengers either. Yeah, fuck that book. You know, and, uh, I I don't hate the book, it just comes out so slow. Uncanny Avengers number three wasn't, actually, Uncanny Avengers three was horrible, now that I think about it. I was <laughs> I, I was tired when I read it, and it, it it's, it's written like a novel, in that there is so much wording. Like, you know, like Captain America says, Colonel Summers to Havoc. He's like Colonel Summers. Your, you know, what are your orders? And it's, and then there's like panel upon panel of Havoc hesitates for a minute at the man who's giving him who who who's requesting orders from him, and blah 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 blah. I mean, like it goes through this whole like diatribe. Like it's written like a novel. And I'm like, show don't tell. It's a comic book. If I right. want to read the novel, I'll read the novel. It's actually pretty poorly written. Um, but nobody read Uncanny X Force number one. I struggled with that one. I, I decided that I needed to hear somebody talk about it before I, I laid down the dollars. Phantom X has relations with his opposite gender clone. Okay, I'm sold. <laughs> yeah, same here. <laughs> yeah, apparently his brain was split into three. There's a, a male, a female, and an evil <laughs> clone. And uh, Wait, male, wait, female. wait. There's a male clone, a female clone, and an evil clone? <laughs> and an evil clone. <laughs> And uh, the male and female are in a relationship. Well, that only seems right. Someone was listening to our podcast. That's the only <laughs> thing I can figure. Yeah, I was like, huh, this seems awfully familiar. Marvel between the coyote uh-huh. and Daredevil and uh, the, the, the opposite gender clone stuff. Just saying, we're on to you. Did anyone see about this Death of Superman Lives documentary? No. Yeah. Uh, some, there is a Death Kickstarter. of Superman Lives? Superman yep. Lives was the movie that was going to be done by Tim Burton. Was that also the Nicolas Cage film? Correct. I'm more of a world protector. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't really have anything to say about it. I'll probably watch the documentary. Oh, I'm going to share one one thing real quick, and then i got to go. Yes, sir. Okay. The, the, the new Die Hard trailer popped up, and one is like, do we really need another Die Hard? 
so we get to talking, and she's like, I've never seen Die Hard 3. And I, I stopped time and space. I'm like, are you effing kidding me? That's the best goddamn Die Hard. <laughs> Samuel L. Jackson Die Hard, and you didn't see that. I'm like, I like, I had plans tomorrow. They're gone. When I come home from work, <laughs> I'm watching Die Hard 3. I kind of hate never that seen movie. it either, but then again, I've never seen any of them. You hate that movie? I hate that movie. Did everyone just gloss over the fact that Wayne said he hasn't seen any of them? You know, Wayne sometimes comes out with these just crazy shit comments. I just filter them out. Wayne, you know, it's uh, like a squelch on a CB radio. You know, I've just got it adjusted. To just I haven't chosen out. not to watch them. It just has never come up. Uh, I don't know how you can get through the Christmas holidays without watching the first Die Hard. How... How am I supposed to take that, Aaron? I can't drive to Missouri this weekend and fix Wayne, too. <laughs> Just go God fix damn. Wayne. That's all you got to do. I, no. I, mean, I have oh. nothing against the movies, and I'm a big Bruce Willis fan. But How could you be a big Bruce Willis fan? <laughs> You know, you know, when you say you're a big Bruce Willis fan, you kill Kevin Smith a little bit. That's I'm okay with that. (laughs) He gave us comic men, Aaron. He can die. It's all right. Is Clerks Triple X worth talking about? Because I have a feeling the budget will be higher than it was for Clerks. No doubt. And and more profitable. All right. Well, I'm I'm out like Paul in a risk game. I'll talk to you guys. Oh, nice. This is Wayne. Well, good morning, guys. Hello. It is so roomy in here today. Yeah, you know, uh, Andrew has Ebola today. He's got that 24-hour Ebola that's going around. And I told him not to sleep with Paul's mom. It'll, it'll you know, I got to tell you, it's, it's one of those, you know, viral hemorrhagic fevers. And, uh, you know, the fever is already destroying much of his brain. The, the only thing is left is really his lizard brain, you know, instinct. Very little personality, uh, you know. So, so really, a, you're saying it's an improvement? Yeah, very, very much so. I think you know. So you, he's turning it to Tim. <laughs> <laughs> you know, just because Tim isn't here, Paul, doesn't mean that you need to abuse our good friend Tim. Tim is a is a good person. <laughs> you're doing it to Andrew. Nobody likes Andrew. Oh. <laughs> and the other difference is that Tim actually listens when he's not on the podcast. That's right. That's true. That's right. I, I will. I will give him that. You know, Andrew's still getting caught up from last year's soccer season. So, uh, <laughs> so when he's you know listening about Avengers Volume Four Issue Twenty, <laughs> well, you know, he's still getting, getting caught up on the whole Infinity Gauntlet the first time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh, Paul. Yes, sir. I can't help but notice that when I'm out there, you know, cruising the interwebs, as it were. Um, I'm noticing that I'm finding ideology of madness and a couple of other places. Yes, sir. So, you know, after, what is it, four years now? <laughs> yes. <laughs> we've decided, hey, 
we should probably expand ideology of madness beyond its single singular URL. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, and uh, so now Ideology of Madness has a Facebook page. Um, it's had a Twitter page for like a while now. Correct. Um, but we also have, uh, as of this week, we have a, a brand new Facebook page. Um, you can just do a search for Ideology of Madness. And um, it's I, the goal is to maintain that, or is to update that pretty consistently, at least a couple times a day. We don't want to spam people. But well, um, you don't. <laughs> but you know the, the the thinking is you know not everything is going to be worth an article and to a certain extent a lot of the news topics for example the the we're going to talk here in a little bit about the jj abrams star wars announcement there's um, a jj abrams star wars announcement there is which we will be talking about shortly yeah i only heard about that on our uh, facebook page <laughs> yeah, well, that, that, and my point is, you know, because of re- things that we're going to talk about on the podcast, I try not to post articles about during the week to, you know, to ruin the podcast. So, but, the, <laughs> you know, but uh, you know, for for thoughts and things like that about that stuff, that'll go up on Facebook. So, I think fans will 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 see the Facebook page updated a lot more than the site, and hopefully, we'll be uh, getting more updates on the site too. Uh, we were just talking about that before the show, but Facebook. Uh, ideology of madness we've already got a ton of stuff um i'm also going to be posting my favorite covers of the week i'm sure the other guys will probably be posting some other stuff like that too um just uh, it's nice to have something geeky and interesting in my feed other and it's come on it's got to be better than that guy who posts what day of the week it is every morning it's monday let's get it done it's tuesday four days till friday happy hump day everybody it's gotta be more interesting than that guy i don't know so. suddenly i want to follow that guy can i can i like that guy i think i already do <laughs> i think everybody does well in the show notes you'll find links to our facebook page our twitter feed uh our various instagram feeds and our tumblr feed yes, yes if so. you want to see random children looking dead and zombified I see somebody's been busy on our Tumblr feed. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Lots of zombies. Yes. And you can find our Tumblr feed is the lovely one titled Untitled. You know, I and, and I got to fix that because it didn't auto-populate from my app. So I actually have to go in through the website to fix that. So, so. plenty of places to get your ideology of madness, funny books, three beers and a scotch, um, Knights of Rain, Knights of Rainsboro information, you know, a little like announcements of uh, when Knights of Rainsboro is coming back, stuff like that. You can find that at all of our different various feeds. Um, I even talked a little bit about beer last night on Facebook, Aaron. Look at you. I did. Well, Budweiser put out a new beer and I had to try it. And, you know, in, in respect for three beers and a scotch, I had to talk about it a little bit. We appreciate the respect. I, I respect. Yeah. Yeah. So, Paul. Yes. You know, there apparently there is some news. Yeah, so so that J.J. Abrams news that uh, you can't get from your uh, interweb in the cave <laughs> over there. Uh-huh, uh, uh-huh. So it was announced officially last night, but uh, unofficially, I think, uh, Thursday night, that J.J. Abrams is going to be taking on the reins of directing Star Wars Episode Seven. Wow. So, so the guy who has the reins of Star Trek... Mm-hmm is essentially crossing the streams and will be directing or show, uh, project running Star Wars. I'm not really sure how I feel about that, because for Star Trek, he decided it needed a reboot. 
I'm hoping he doesn't think that for Star Wars. I don't believe that'll be the case. Now, before, because a lot of the questions um, that people have are, you know, what about Star Trek? You know, what about Mission Impossible? Um, he Apparently, Paramount has announced that he will continue to be in a producer capacity on uh, on those series after these, you know, after the current Star Trek that he's directing. So he's not leaving those franchises entirely. Um, although I'd imagine he's stepping back considerably because, you know, Star Wars. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I, I'm as far as how I feel about the news, I, you know, he actually the second the guy who came in second for uh, for the job was actually Ben Affleck. See, and I really would have preferred Ben Affleck, I think. But uh, Spielberg, you know, Spielberg has always had his hands in the uh, Star Wars films, um, him and George Lucas being best buds. So he actually pushed for a, for J.J. Abrams to get to the the job really so he like advocated he said no nah, you don't want this ben affleck guy you want yeah. jj well you know spielberg has always has been basically jj abrams career is because of steven spielberg so yeah i think uh he he yeah but he's, he's the one who pushed on kathleen kennedy to say hey jj's your guy because originally jj didn't want to do it just think about what we missed out on there, though. If Affleck would have been in there, you might have had like a Kevin Smith cameo. And before yeah. you know it, standing outside of the uh, the cantina is going to be Jay and Silent Bob. That would be <laughs> awesome. But, you know, I, I I would be more comfortable with Ben Affleck in the role simply for the fact that I, I feel like Ben Affleck is, a, is more in tune with, with story and internal logic uh, to the story. Whereas, you know, J.J. Abrams works frequently with Damon Lindelof and Lindelof goes for the gag. I mean, you know, he, he's like, Oh, this would be a great twist. Who gives a shit if it makes sense? You know, I, he, JJ Abrams makes visually stunning films, but sometimes the story just, it doesn't support some of the activities in, yeah. in the movies. If you look at what Abrams has done, none of it is very strong story wise, visually great. He makes an incredible action movie. But I can't think of a single movie he's done that I look at and think that's a strong story. Yeah, I'm. I'm that worries me. I'm, I'm, I disagree with you guys on that. Honestly, I think J.J. Abrams. I loved Mission Impossible Three. I think he reinvigorated that franchise. I think he reinvigorated Star Trek with his Star Trek film. I think both films were well written. I think when J.J. I think Super Eight. Other than other than some quirks I have with the end, I enjoyed Super Eight. I think he's a good director. I think he, I think his films that he actually directs are well written. I think some of the stuff that his buddies are involved in are probably pretty shittily written. But I think when he's involved in something, I think it's well written. And not only that, the film is not going to be written by Dable, Dave, um, Damon Lindelof. Disney already has a writer in place for the film, and Lawrence Kasdan is actually going to serve as a consultant uh, on the film. Is also is going to be consulting on the film. There's actually a couple of folks consulting on the film. So I think even though JJ is directing the film, I think um, Simon Kinberg is the other guy consulting. Um, even though he's taking over directing, I think Disney is still in control. If that makes sense. Well, I'm not particularly impressed with uh, you know Disney's control of creative pro- creative properties, but uh, I wait, wait, very- wait. I have to say something here. I swear to God, Wayne, if you say anything about John Carter. All right, Aaron, go ahead. <laughs> I, I don't have to. You just brought it up for me. I was thinking about it. I was like, no, I'm going to let it pass. It's kind of played out. But then Paul has to go right for it. I swear, you just cannot let something die, can you, Paul? He's right, you Paul. You can't let it drop. Yeah, let it go, Paul. Come on. Uh, all right, it's gone. It's gone. Okay. But, you know, 
I, I agree. I mean, I think I think Star Trek 2009 is a terrific movie. I love that movie. But there there are a lot of J.J. Abrams pro- projects where the stories don't make a whole lot of sense in certain respects. But I, I, I'm cautiously optimistic. I just think Ben Affleck might have been a better choice. Yeah, just I'm saying. not going to because because I because I Ben Affleck is such a fucking geek to begin with, mm-hmm. you know, and he is he is so much about character and story. Uh, I, I I would have liked to have seen that movie. I would love to have seen a Ben Affleck Star Wars movie. I am concerned about uh, you know J.J. Abrams has a very you know distinctive visual style lens flares, um, but Star Wars has a very distinctive visual style, and I, I, I'm kind of concerned about how that might change because I think that's one of the things that really works well for Star Wars, despite the absence of uh, decent writing in the prequels. Visually, those movies are stunning. Yeah. So 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 you're saying. Between lens flares and George Lucas's camera wipes, <laughs> you'd rather go with the wipes? Yeah. Huh. Are, yeah. are you afraid there won't be cows floating in space? <laughs> <laughs> yes. So. Yeah, I, I, I agree. J.J. Abrams does have a distinct visual style. And let's be honest, it's essentially Spielberg's style with more lens flare. Yeah. <laughs> um, because, I mean, you even watch old Steven Spielberg films, you see a lot of lens flare. Right. Watch Close Encounters again. I oh, mean, Jesus yeah. Christ. Absolutely. Um, but, I mean, ultimately, I think, you know, I, I would have gone with Ben Affleck or, you know, the guy I was pushing for was really John Favreau or even Brad Bird. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think J.J. Abrams is a good choice. I, I really do. I think it's a little it's a little sad because I think he um, – I think what he brought to the Star Trek franchise was great, and I would have liked to con- to see him continue in that capacity. Yeah, I want to see. I still want to see Star Trek thrive. Um, no, I do too, and, and I don't think it has. I think he's done a great movie, and the franchise has essentially been waiting for him to do another movie. And you know, but maybe him stepping back will finally give Paramount the gusto to do something else other than wait on J.J. Abrams. Exactly, and you know, the Disney has said essentially Star Wars every two years, right? Um, Correct. You know, starting in, in what, 2015, Star Wars every two years. There is no reason Paramount can't do that with Star Trek other than the fact they keep waiting for, for J.J., you know. And I think it's important that they wait for the second film just to kind of continue the establishment of what that franchise is going to be in its new uh, iteration. Yeah, it's probably important to wait for J.J., but, you know, now they've got to be able to farm it out to other directors, you know, because there are other good directors in the world. You just make sure that there's a producer standing beside behind them going, no, no, here's what we're doing. Yeah, hey, Ben Affleck's free. So. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. You know, I, I, and I don't think J.J. is going to be uh, in, in. I have a gut feeling that J.J. is not going to be doing seven, eight and nine. I have a feeling he's just going to be doing seven. I, I, I don't see that guy as really being able to put out all three of the films in the time period that Disney wants to do them no, under the got, control that Disney wants to do. Them. Too many other things he wants to do. You know. Agreed. So I mean I, 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 I think it's a great choice. I look forward to seeing episode seven. You know, I'm I'm glad they went with him other than Matthew Vaughn, who apparently was also in the running. Mm-hmm. Um you know, Matthew Vaughn from Kick Ass and Stardust and Layer Cake and I have seen plenty of other movies. Those movies. And uh, none of them are good. Oh, X Men First Class. You also did X Men First oh, Class. I did see X Men First Class, but I I didn't see X Men First Class and say you know this guy would be great to direct Star Wars. No, no. Um, I thought he would be great to direct X Men First Class Part Two. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but apparently, uh, Fox did not since they brought Brian Singer back. Yeah. Yeah. 
So, uh, but, but Wayne, the, so you you seem hesitant on this J.J. Abrams news. Uh, I don't know. I wasn't really expecting more Star Wars before earlier this year. He wouldn't be the person I would choose to uh, to do the next round of Star Wars movies, basically because of the some hesitations around what he did with Star Trek. Even though I think he's going to make an incredible part two Star Trek movie, I'm kind of I just I was just afraid he would do a reboot. But if he's not in charge of the script, if he's just you know a higher level than that, then that's not as big a concern. Yeah, I don't think they're going reboot. I mean, I think they are to a certain extent in that we're going to see the next generation of characters. Um, but I think we'll still see the original trilogy's actors. They've already said that they've been approached for the film. Um, so I think we will see them probably pass the buck to the next generation, which, yeah. you know, I'm okay with, really. You I know, want to I, see the next three be the continuation of the story. We had the prequels tell the first, you know, section of first chunk of the story. Then you have the original tell the better chunk of the story. And now we're going to move on from there to see what happens to the universe after the fall of the uh, the emperor. And that's kind of what I'm hoping for. It's just a little sad that Ben Affleck didn't get the job because then we would have seen Casey Affleck as Luke Skywalker Jr. or something. <laughs> I would have liked to have seen that. <laughs> that, that, that would have gotten my money. Yeah, it was d- ditto. But, you know, speaking of J.J. Abrams, um, you know, his writing buddy, Damon Lindelof, who had a big hand in Lost and uh, wrote the what ultimately ended up being the, the shooting script for Prometheus, is working with Brad Bird on a secret project um, called 1952. And yeah. if you don't know who Brad Bird is, I don't. we had this conversation before the podcast, didn't we, Aaron? We did. But, but so tell Brad, them who Brad Bird is. Brad Bird is the director of Iron Giant, Incredibles, Ratatouille, and Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol, which was, I, I believe, his first like feature-length live-action film, um, and you know he, he he stepped out from Pixar and is doing starting to to take on these live-action projects. And I believe the one he's working on now is this project code named 1952. Um, now they've been posting some um, hint, some teaser pics online as far as you know material that could help fans understand what the project is. Um, the only thing that they've given out other than these pictures is that it involves some sort of unidentified flying object. And while most people assume that's a, an alien, like it involves aliens, um, the teaser pics that have been released kind of give the impression that it could potentially be a reboot of the Rocketeer. Man, I would love that. Yeah. Yeah. and uh, George Clooney is involved in the project as well. No one knows in what actual capacity, yeah, but I little, could see him playing the Timothy Dalton role. Yeah, he's a little long in the tooth for uh, for the Rocketeer, but uh, yeah, that would be. I'm I'm I, I would love that. Yeah, I um, did you? I actually just recently rebought the original Rocketeer on Blu-ray. Oh, really? Yeah, I think they released it middle of last year, something like that. Because uh, it's. 20th they released it no actually they released it earlier than that they released it when captain america came out Mm -hmm. because uh joe johnson directed captain america gotcha i I love the rocketeer i I think that's a great film and i love the 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 character Mm -hmm. i I love the new comics that idw is producing the comics are fantastic with mark wade and chris somney Mm -hmm. those are terrific so So i go ahead i've also seen a uh a speculation that it might be a buck rogers reboot because apparently Ooh. 1952 was when the uh, was when the one of the creators was born. I could get behind a Buck Rogers re- reboot done right, you know, yeah, pulpy absolutely. and whatnot, you know, as opposed to what they did in the 80s. 
1952 was the year that uh, Dan Stevens, one of the creators, was born. I can totally get behind a Buck Rogers reboot. I can totally get behind a, a Rocketeer reboot as well, but uh, ooh, I'd like both of those. Can we have both of those, please? Yeah, I'd be okay with that. You know what's funny is, um, remember, I'm sure you guys may not have seen the film, but Frank Miller's The Spirit. No, I have not seen that film. Yeah, I refused to watch it because it seemed to go against everything that was the spirit. Yeah, I watched uh, maybe five minutes on cable (laughs) and, and, and turned the channel. Well, it is a terrible movie. I will confirm your suspicions. It is absolutely a terrible movie. But before that movie came out, Frank Miller was signed to write and direct a Buck Rogers movie. See, I don't want to see that movie. But after the spirit tanked as bad as it did yeah. and as bad as it was, um, they, 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 I guess that project got scrapped. You know what I'd love to see, though? Hmm. An animated spirit uh, uh, art directed by Darwin Cook. Oh, yeah. Oh, hell yeah. That, that would be fun. I'd get behind that. That would be awesome. <laughs> I would love to see that. Make that happen, Paul. You're a producer. Make that happen. I'll get right on that. Thank you. You know, and while I'm at it, speaking of Darwin Cook, we're going to talk about him later on. Um, you know, he he's doing these Parker books. Uh huh. And do you know they released a movie this week called yeah, Parker starring I, yeah, Jason Statham? Yeah, I don't. I have kind of have a hard time with Jason Statham as Parker, but I was going to ask you, are you going to go see it? You know, I think it looks terrible. Yeah, it does. <laughs> I mean, I want to see it because I love the story. It's the same story that the Mel Gibson movie Payback was based off of. It's the original Parker novel, The Hunter. Right. right. Same story. It's a criminal. He's betrayed by his gang. Um, he comes back for revenge, that kind of thing. Right. Um, great book. I even loved Payback. I love Payback. I was going to ask you if you liked that movie, but God, I love that movie. Payback is probably one of my favorite Mel Gibson movies. Well, you know, and I, I love that movie before I ever under, understood that it was based off the Parker books. Yeah, same here. Yeah. yeah. You know, and there's actually two versions, two entirely different versions of the movie. Yeah. Um, and both are great. I love – and it, it is not just a well-acted, well-written movie. It is visually a very striking film. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's got that very noir uh, – uh, uh, atmosphere to it you know there's this, this blue filter through the mo- throughout the movie i just go, oh i love that movie well and the reason it's called payback and i believe the main character is called porter right in that movie is because um the writer of hunter and the guy's name escapes me right now um richard starks yeah richard stark yeah. well that's not his real name but that's his pen name right. um refused to let anyone use the name parker really for film adaptations yes that's why he that's why they had to change the name for it and but he's dead now, um, <laughs> and so Jason Statham can do it. So Jason Statham is playing Parker in a movie yeah. called Parker that doesn't look anything like what yeah. I would have anticipated, what I would have hoped for a for a movie based on that book. Yeah. Um, I, so I just a, don't know. Like I, I want to see out of curiosity. Well, I saw a commercial for it this week, and before they said the name, I'm like, that kind of seems like Parker. And then they they flashed the name up, and I'm like. That didn't look good, <laughs> you know. So I'm gonna wait for cable on that one. Uh, when I saw the ad, the first thing I thought was, "Who or what is Parker, and why is that name relevant?" Yeah, it's you know, if you're into if you like noir stories, pick up Darwin Cook's take on the character. It yeah. is absolutely perfect. Yeah, the hunted, the outfit, and what's the name of the third one? Um, the score, I the think. Score. Yeah, and, and uh, the the martini editions that they did. Oh, yeah. I want this. God, they're gorgeous. You know, yeah. uh, you know, big hardcover uh, sleeve editions. Oh, they're lovely. Now, just I, to geek out for a second here. Yeah. 
I think Darwin Cook, after he's done with the Parker novels, should take on the original James Bond novels. Ooh, I would, I would, I would buy those books. Yeah, I would, buy I would them absolutely now. buy those books. Yeah, but you know, Paul, fuck, I'd buy anything Darwin Cook does. That's true. We'll talk yeah, about I mean, more later, I guess. He could, he could draw the freaking phone book, you know, and ooh, I like what he did with the Smiths. <laughs> 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 yeah, that's how big a geek I am. So, yeah. uh, talk to me, Paul. There's some Superman stuff going on. Yeah, I mean, I, worlds are colliding. You know, we've got Star Trek and Star Wars all mashed up. We've got some kind of maybe Buck Rogers, maybe the Rocketeer, but at least everything is stable with Superman. Well, you know how sensitive fans are. No, no, we're we, we are just we we feel things deeply, Paul. <laughs> yeah. So so when Lawrence Fishburne was cast as Perry White. Wait, what? Lawrence Fishburne, Perry White in The Man of Steel. I think you misunderstand. Uh, Perry White, he's an old white guy, you know. Just because uh, his name's White doesn't mean he's white. No, but Perry White, he's, he's always been an old white guy. An Except old, curmudgeonly white guy. In the movie, he's an old, curmudgeonly black guy. In the movie, he's the, the black guy from The Matrix. Wait, that wasn't Lawrence Fishburne. Yeah, it was. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, so well, as long as that's the only change, I think we'll be okay. Well, apparently um, there is also a change to Jimmy Olsen in that he will potentially you know the, the, as far as the cast list is concerned you know they've confirmed every other actor but they haven't said who's playing jimmy olsen well there's a listing of the cast and it shows a character named jenny olsen what who can be seen with perry white in the trailer for man of steel um so so the the the, the thinking right now is that there is no jimmy olsen in the movie there is a jenny olsen played by rebecca bueller Something you know, like that. I can approve of this change. Jimmy Olsen just went from Superman's best friend to Superman's best friend with benefits. I I, I, I like this. Okay, now now first off, let's not pretend that in the Brandon Brandon Routh version of Superman that that was going on. There was Jimmy Olsen Superman, totally a thing. Just yeah. saying. <laughs> um, <laughs> I this is too much change, Paul. This is too much change. I need you to let them know that this this is too far. It's too uh, far. I'm okay with it. It's too far, Paul. It's not too far. It's too far. Eh. Eh. <laughs> you know, Jimmy Olsen isn't a character I, I, I necessarily care. Well, I mean, okay. <laughs> I don't even care if he's in the fucking movie, to be honest with you. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm with you, Paul. As big a Superman fan as we both are, we both agree Jimmy Olsen is not that important to the movie. Yeah, I mean, well, but I, you're going to feel worse when they shoot Jenny Olsen in the face. I don't think Joker's in this movie. What? <laughs> <laughs> Too much change. Too much change. <laughs> I, I, th- I find it interesting that uh, they they I, I can see you know making that change uh, you know having uh, you know Superman have a gal pal, but uh, interesting that they didn't choose to to go with someone who is more visually similar to the Jimmy Olsen you know iconic images you know the the red hair freckles that kind of thing they just went with i mean it really is just a a complete change they could dye her hair red for the movie but they haven't well yet they haven't filmed her yet have they yeah they, yeah. Sh- they show her it's in the trailer. Just, oh. trailer oh well never mind then <laughs> <laughs> the film already has a rating and wayne i would so, expect so you to be a little bit more loyal to the gingers just saying it, yeah. it would have been better if they would have dyed her hair red you definitely. should be outraged by this outraged wayne I expect you to to create an online petition. <laughs> 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 a 
Well, at least, you know, okay, so that was our Superman news for the week. No, that was not our Superman news. What? Damn, <laughs> Damn it, Aaron. <laughs> <laughs> Stick to the script. <laughs> um, so also, uh, if you've been looking at our Facebook page, you'll see that is there is a Kickstarter campaign out there for um, the, the man who directed Metal, Metal Apocalypse. Metalocalypse. Metalocalypse, something like that. Uh, it was was a documentary film. Um, he his for his next film, he wants to do a documentary about the Tim Burton Nicolas Cage Superman Lives project. Now, I don't know if it's just specifically on that project or if it's going to involve the McG one as well. But from what I can tell, it is specifically just about. Tim Burton, Nicolas Cage's Superman Lives, which got pretty far along. Um, it was also a uh, script by Kevin Smith. And, um, you know, they had a costume for Nicolas Cage and everything, um, storyboards, script and everything before the film got um, aborted. And <laughs> this guy, wants to, <laughs> this guy <laughs> wants to make a movie about it, including uh, interviews with the cast and the crew who are going to be involved in the film. I, I'm, I, I'm a bit torn. I will probably watch this when, if it makes it out. But I think I, everything I need to know about that movie I learned from Kevin listening Smith. to Kevin Smith talk about it for forty-five minutes. Yeah. Eh, see, I, I I know Kevin Smith's point of view, which is you know he doesn't he. I, I want to hear him. I I would love to find out more about the project because there's always something you can uncover. I mean, they're still uncovering shit for Star Wars, you know that that has never been released before. You know, from the vaults and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure there's there's actual footage out there of Nicolas Cage in the costume, and I'm sure there's there's more. You know, because I've read the script, I've read Kevin Smith's script. It's absolutely terrible. I'm thankful they didn't make the damn movie based on it. Um, and but, Kevin Smith would be the first one to tell you it's terrible. Yeah, but uh, you know, as far as the film itself, I, I'm I'm I I kind of wish, and I don't think that would have been the final script. Tim Burton didn't like it either, so I'm sure it would have changed a ton. By the time it actually made it to the screen, I, I kind of wish we had seen a Tim Burton Superman film. Uh, uh, no, yeah, no, no. I, 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 you know, I remember they actually produced a poster for it. Yeah, but Nicolas Cage was going to be in that movie. Nicolas yeah. Cage cannot be Superman. Yeah, it says you know, but a lot of people said that about Michael Keaton and Batman too. Yeah, but we were we would have been right about Nicolas Cage. <laughs> but this is back before Nicolas Cage became. Nicholas Cage. Cage. <laughs> I'm, you know? I, yeah, and, and I actually like Nicholas Cage. I just he is not he is not right for that role. He is not right for that role. You know, I, and I, here's the thing. I I normally would agree with you. I just knowing how Michael Keaton did as Batman, and I know a lot of people had hesitation about that. I really, I think it would. I I, got, I think it would have been a one off. I really don't think we would have seen more than one Superman film from Tim Burton. Um, but you know what? I mean, I. I it, I don't think it would have hurt the franchise any to have put that film out a- any more than it is in its current state. Because, you know, Man of Steel, I think we're looking forward to that. But Superman Returns wasn't very good. Superman 4 sucked. Well, I mean, I, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, Superman 3 and 4 were awful films. I mean, they were Gullin and Globus films, for God's sake. They were terrible, terrible films. But uh, uh, I, I think there are things to like about Superman Returns. I know we've had this conversation before, so we don't need to spend a whole lot of time on it. I think there are, there are things that were admirable about Superman Returns. It was not a good movie. It is not a movie that bears rewatching, but there were things that that were good about it. Yeah, I will, it showed it that they, I say they showed that they can visually do Superman. Yeah, and I mean, I don't. I think if that would have failed, we wouldn't be looking at a new Superman movie now. Yeah, 
I think the problem. I mean, we're not going. We we already said we're not going to go into it. There are plenty plenty of problems with Superman Returns. There are some great things, but I I, I really would have liked to see Tim Burton Superman film. Yeah. See, I wouldn't. It's not even a Nicolas Cage thing. It's a Tim Burton thing. Yeah. I don't want Tim Burton touching Superman. But you know what? Tim I mean, Burton back at that Batman, time, but no, not a Superman. I don't know. Back at that time, I would have loved it. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking about the time in which it would have come out, which would have been, I believe, after Batman Returns. Right. Uh, it was I, early '90s. It was early '90s. I would have seen that film. I really would have seen that oh, film, and I, I would have enjoyed the hell out of it. I absolutely would have seen it. I think I would have hated it. Yeah. Now, of course, we're trying to judge something that never got made, but <laughs> I, the, knowing Tim Burton, you know, and enjoying some of his work. I mean, like I love Edward Scissorhands. Um, I loved, you know, the first two Batman movies uh, and Nightmare on Elm Street. And I think that's it for me on Tim Burton. Nightmare yeah. Before Christmas. Nightmare yeah. on Elm Street was Wes yeah. Craven. Sorry, Nightmare Before Christmas. <laughs> Tim Burton just doesn't tell the type of stories that I want for a Superman. Yeah. I was having this conversation with some friends the other day, and it's like, for any other hero, I kind of want to see some of the darker stories. I want to see, you know, a little more insecurities or things worked into the movie. Superman's the exception, though. Superman is the icon. He's the one character I want to stand up there, be larger than life, be ultimately that good. He's the one hero that inspires all the other heroes. And I can't see Tim Burton making a bright, larger than life Superman in any movie. He would want to go dark with it. And Superman is the one and only character that I don't want to see that happen because Superman is above all of that. He is Superman. I think that's probably a, a good segue into our first couple of books, which actually all feature Superman, um, because you know DC made a a conscious attempt to not have that be the Superman that they introduced the New Fifty Two with. They did not want him to be the iconic, larger than life, everyone looks up to Boy Scout. They wanted him to be more of the alien outsider. Um, now, of course, I think it backfired on them, and they're turning it around slightly. Um, so let's talk about Justice League number 16, the third part of the Throne of Atlantis storyline. Which uh, features Superman, Wonder Woman, Batman, and Aquaman versus the forces of Atlantis. I have one complaint about this storyline so far. And it's not even with the story itself. But this storyline is this big, huge, over the, you know, big, huge, large scale storyline where cities are being flooded. There's this massive damage. And it's not being referenced, mentioned, or having any impact in any other title other than Aquaman. Gotham had massive casualties, was flooded, but we won't see this ever mentioned in a Batman book. I know Batman's going through its own storyline right now, but some of the other smaller books, something like this should be mentioned. This is an earth-shattering events happening here in this book, or at least, you know, America-shattering events, and, you know, our comics are based in America, so America is Earth. Well, and, and but we won't see it referenced anywhere. But I, it, while it's never stated explicitly, I have the sense that this is taking place... Not at the same time as current uh, current continuity. Like I don't think this takes place at the same time as Death of the Family. You know, maybe I, not as Death of the Family, but it's tied into the Aquaman books and the, or the Aquaman book, and it's set right now. Well, uh, no, Aquaman is crossing over with this. So I, I, I so I mean, I, I, I see your point, and I do, I do to a certain extent agree. I also feel that Throne of Atlantis, from what I can tell, it all's kind of taking place on the same night, right? Or the same day, whatever. Um, you know, just like Death of the Family, all taking place on the same day. And so, you know, I mean, to a certain extent, I think 
maybe when it's done, we'll see it integrated into other books. Um, I, I do think we'll probably see it integrated into Superman. Um, the Superman if titles, we, at least. If and we Aquaman. actually see it integrated into Superman and some of the other titles, then my complaint will end up being unfounded, and I won't have that complaint anymore. I'll be happy with it. But I don't see that happening. I don't think a single other DC title other than Aquaman will ever mention the flood and everyone that was killed in it. I, my, uh, I, I'm enjoying the book-ish. <laughs> um, I, I, I enjoyed the, the prior two issues in Aquaman and in Justice League. But I'm having a hard time believing that uh, the folks from Atlantis could take down the Justice League so hard. That's um, that's a that's kind of a, a a big piece for me to bite off. Yeah, the the way how quickly they took them down too. Yeah, the the, the big the big guys. Right. You know, and I just I'm, I'm having some challenge with that. Now I can tell you what I really enjoyed about the book was the Shazam uh, backup story, and that has been true. Throughout the run, I'm really enjoying the Shazam book, and, yeah. I'm, and I'm ready for a Gary Frank, uh, Jeff Johns, you know, Shazam title each month because I'm not getting enough of of uh, Jeff Johns and Gary Frank on Shazam because that book is fantastic. Yeah, I want them to release all of the Shazam stuff combined. It's been so good, but it's only a backup, right? And, and admittingly, I don't know that I would have ever picked it up if it wasn't the backup. You know, I, yeah. I don't know. That well, no, I would have. Jeff Johns and Gary Frank. I will pick up anything those guys do. Yeah. Um, they, they, even though Batman Earth One left a lot to be desired, um, I do think they are a stellar creative team. So I, I'm pretty much going to pick up anything they're teamed up on. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I, I agree. I, I'm looking forward when Shazam comes out in a trade paperback form format, and I think by the time it actually comes out, it'll probably be enough to fill up a trade paperback. I'll pick it up. So uh, on the last page of the Justice League story, you know, they, they're calling in reinforcements for the Justice League. You know, so it's like, you know, Justice League tier two superheroes. Yeah. And I see that there's Element Woman. So is 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 the new 52 Metamorpho Element Woman? I think so. And that happened in Flashpoint. So okay. I think that she's kind of a carryover. She carried over from Flashpoint. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Which I think is interesting. But, you know, it's funny because you guys didn't read it. But Avengers number three. Uh-huh. Had literally the exact same thing as Justice League number sixteen, which is let's pull in the B listers and have them join the Justice League, or let's pull in the B listers and have them join the Avengers. Right. Um, I mean, almost the exact same scene. They look up on a computer screen and there's the B listers <laughs> to join. Um, so I, I got to be honest, I don't really care about those characters. Most of those characters, uh, I think there's already enough B listers on the Justice League with Cyborg. Right. Uh-huh. <laughs> He's all the B list you need. Yeah, and they're setting him up to be the hero of the storyline. Oh my god! Replace, I, I, replace my last lung so I can go to Atlantis. Yeah, I yeah. Just, screw that guy. I just hate him. <laughs> I hate him. But, but I enjoyed oh. Superman kicking ass when Wonder Woman got injured. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um. So, yeah, they definitely seem to be – they're upping Superman lately in the uh, in Justice League. But also in the other book Superman's in, he is becoming the iconic character that they the, – because you know, if you remember when we talked about Superman in the beginning of the New 52, some of the big complaints were that he looked too young. He wasn't the iconic character that he should be to be Superman. And they seem to be addressing that now. They seem to be shifting him more towards that type of character. I noticed that Zaytana is going to be on the team. And isn't she already on uh, Justice League Dark? Yeah, but I, I, I've, I've heard those tit- that the titles will tie in. Oh, okay. Yeah, and if you look at Green Arrow, is going to be in uh, Justice League America. 
Interesting, interesting. So, I, I like the Throne of Atlantis storyline. Um, I don't I'm think sh- this issue was particularly exceptional. It felt like it, it furthered the storyline, but there's nothing quite as memorable as the first, the first issue of Throne of Atlantis, where the big tidal wave came over Metrop or Gotham, and you know, I mean, the, you had Lois Lane, not Lois Lane, Wonder Woman and Superman on a date. Those were great scenes, and I don't think we, there was anything like that in Justice League 16. Well, I just hate that you know it, the Justice League book is a 3.99 book. Um, it is you know um, as a 3.99 book, you know, you're getting you know. 30, 29 pages of story, um, but you're only getting 18 pages of the main story, you know, and, and that that's something that I find a little irritating about the book is that, you know, they're really, you should at least be getting 22 pages and then your backup maybe should be shorter. You know, and I don't complain about that only because the backup in this case is so good. I, I would normally complain about it, but the backup sometimes, like right now, the main story is really good. But when the main story has faltered a little bit, the backup hasn't. I just there have f- been some months where I enjoyed the backup more than I enjoyed the main story. I feel like maybe they're stretching it, though. Yeah, and that, hey, you know and that's that's my complaint about it is that the, the the main story is getting stretched for the crossover. I'd prefer that they handle it in in, in fewer issues. You know what just occurred to me? When was the last time we bought one of these books and had a reprint in the back of it? Remember, we used to complain about that almost oh, yeah. every week. Yeah, that's true. Well, that was the change that we were able to affect. We communicated that out. They heard us, Paul. They heard us. Finally, yeah. And here's the thing. I, and I wish DC would move to the. It's funny because when DC started and they're you know they're holding the line of two ninety nine, we're like, damn it, why doesn't Marvel do that? And now I feel like the tables have reversed a little bit. At least for me as a consumer, now I wish DC would adopt the Marvel. If the book is three ninety nine or more, you get the free digital copy. Absolutely, because if you're trying to get the digital combo pack on DC, you're spending four ninety nine, aren't you? Exactly. Yeah, yeah that's extra right. buck to get the, and I'm like five bucks seems a bit much, but three ninety nine, no, yeah, I, I, no problem. Agreed. And I'd even pay three ninety nine for books that I'm paying two ninety nine for now, like Aquaman, if they got the free digital code. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I just I, I feel like uh yeah I I, I I am liking that model that Marvel has instituted. Not only that, Marvel has also announced that their um their Marvel now collections their hardcover collections and stuff like that mm-hmm. will include digital code really so like when all new x-men comes out in hardcover it will also include a free digital code that's pretty awesome that is nice yeah that is yeah, nice. that's a that's a great deal but um you know since we're talking about justice league let's talk about another book where the justice league popped up in this week which is another crossover hell on earth um in the pages of the superman titles and let's go ahead and start with supergirl number 16 which actually uh was I guess the next part of the story. So what'd you guys think of Supergirl? I I enjoyed the book. uh, One of the things I've liked about Supergirl though, has been her interaction with, you know, other characters outside of the superhero genre. And I'm kind of missing that in this current storyline. The current storyline is really good, but I want to see her get back, you know, to her supporting cast because I really like them. I did. I got a huge kick out of seeing Crypto in this book, though. Uh, you know, the uh, the storyline spending a lot of time in the fortress, and I really dig that. It's weird to me though, because it's all of a sudden we're given we're 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 seeing evidence of all these adventures Superman has had that we haven't yet seen. Um, you know, the fact that he has got such a well stocked fortress, you know, makes him seem more like a pre. New 52 Superman than a current New 52 Superman. Um, 
you know, the fact that crypto showed up. I mean, I, I, I think this is crypto's first appearance, isn't it? Actually, and that's something I want to say, uh, in Action Comics, I think it was issue 13, um, You know, it, at the very beginning of Action Comics, Superman or Clark Kent is sitting on a bench, and a homeless guy walks up to him and says, there's a ghost dog next to you, or something like that. I think that was like Action Comics number two. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's revealed in Action Comics 13 that Crypto actually, in trying to protect Kal-El as a baby, was caught in between the Phantom and the real world. And basically was a phantom who had been by his master's side his entire life. Oh, really? So crypto had, uh, you know, yeah. So crypto is basically a ghost that has been standing next to Superman since the entire time. You know, since Superman's been on Earth. They, they, and it's actually a pretty touching story that, you know, they, they show ghost crypto. He's, you know, he he wants to get involved in the fights and help Superman, but he can't. And now his favorite time is when Superman is sleeping because he can finally relax. And it's actually a really sweet story. I think you guys would like it. I um, want to. I want to read that now. Yeah, same here. So yeah. at some but he's point, not a ghost here, right? Yeah. Well, he in in Action Comics number thirteen, he actually does get out of the Phantom Zone and become fully corporeal. Huh. And so now he now he is living in the Fortress of Solitude. Oh. Phil, I would be, yeah, Paul, I'll be buying that. Yeah, Paul just sold me a damn Grant Morrison book, didn't he? No, I, I will say. The best part of the story is the back of written by Sholy Fish. Uh-huh. <laughs> that, that's that, that's the that's the main part of it. That's the best part of it. But when crypto actually comes back to reality, is the the Grant Morrison piece. Paul so. keeps bringing Grant Morrison back into our lives. <laughs> no, it, Paul is a cancer. <laughs> it, 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 it's something like uh, you know the Phantom in the Fortress of Solitude. It's the the name of the issue. Uh, I think it's issue thirteen. But yeah, so but he and so he pops up every now and then um yeah so seeing him was was pretty cool because I, I, I like crypto did you notice how huge crypto is yes he's more he, of a he's a kryptonian dog not a human dog he is freaking huge mm-hmm. huge i mean gigormous he, he uh, yeah he's a big damn dog he's not <laughs> he's not the the crypto that we're familiar with correct but i mean i enjoyed supergirl number 16 um i will say i don't think as much as i like the writers of the supergirl series or the writer i think actually i think there's two i don't think they're really helping supergirl as a character endear herself to readers <laughs> no i, I she's no. very she's very petulant since you know, the beginning honestly yeah. since issue one she's been this way yeah i think they've done a lot better job in previous issues though of it i mean there's something about this story i love this storyline but I liked Supergirl better as a book before the storyline. Really? Well, in here she's—I mean, she's basically been seduced, and she's fighting. She's fighting the Justice League, and it's like, okay, I, like I buy a little bit more if you were possessed, but you're just being a bitch. One of the things that, I, that I'm finding confusing about the book is the character Hell. Um, you know, when we first saw him, he had that you know bloody Superman-esque S on it on his chest. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you're given to believe, you know, on the pages of this book that perhaps that's an injury that he incurred during his crash or shortly before his crash to Earth. And now um, I I guess we're to gather that those scars have healed up since the beginning of the storyline, you know, because he's not had that big bloody red S on his on his chest for a couple of issues now. I haven't even been paying that close of attention. Yeah, well, and, and so I'm like, so did he immediately stand up from that crash and then go and, you know, reach out to Superman and Supergirl. And, I mean, this is just the course over a couple of hours since he landed on Earth. It's possible. I mean, I, I think, honestly, some of it's artist interpretation. 
No, Paul. This is the way it actually happened. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I can get behind the artist's interpretation for a lot of things, but not a Superman S shield carved into your chest. Yeah, that's got to be story based. But they haven't noted. They haven't commented on it. Well, I'm commenting on it, and <laughs> but the been, writers haven't commented on it. I I, I assume. Yeah, I mean, because that's a pretty big damn deal on character design. I assume that there's a point to that. Yeah, I, I think, honestly, I think he probably, it maybe the exposure to the Yellow Sun has healed it, maybe. But again, I, I, I think what we're to gather then is that he only just got here like a couple of hours ago. Yeah. I mean, th- that's what, I, what I'm gathering because it, they show him in that flashback with him crash landing into the mountains and he's got the bloody red S. When he shows up to Superman and Supergirl, he's got the bloody red S. But here we are several hours later, and he's you know got, he is engaged. He's already taken over the, the, the fortress. S is gone. Hmm. I'm, I'm, I will start rereading the story from the beginning, and I will let you know if it's mentioned anywhere. Yeah, I want you to focus on the S. I will focus on the S. I will focus on his S. Yeah, thank you. What I'm really missing right now in the book, though, is the Silver Banshee backup character. You know, her supporting cast. And I'm wondering, after the story is all over with, now that she finally speaks English, are they going to keep her as a best friend? Because she can talk to other people now. That was a big thing. One of the reasons why she was such a good supporting character was she was the only one that could understand her. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, uh, uh, what I enjoyed about this book was The Flash, the battle with The Flash. I think that was cool. Um, I, 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 I think after this storyline... I think we're going to get another crossover. Am I the only one who feels that way about it? I, I, I feel like... I hope the, not. The, well, I mean, think about the Zero issues. In the Zero issues, we saw Supergirl, Superboy, and Superman back on Krypton before the planet exploded. Yeah, I took that to be part of the Hell storyline. I think well, I mean, I, I, I think... but I, Okay, so you think that's still yet to happen in this storyline? Yes. I think this storyline is going to bring forth a time travel story that's all yeah, part that, of that, the same that, big that, story. Oh, okay. Yeah, you're, you're probably right. I just didn't realize Hell on Earth was going to go on that long, you know? Like, how long... I, I thought the storyline was really just going to be, like, two months. But it seems like it's still going to be going on two months from now. So while uh, Supergirl and the Flash fight it out in the Fortress of Solitude, Superman and Superboy get sucked off to some pocket dimension... And uh, we follow that story in Superboy Annual Number 1. Yeah, so it is a Hell on Earth tie-in. Um, it doesn't necessarily further the Hell on Earth storyline. However, it is it is pretty important reading for Superman and Superboy as far as their interactions, I think. Yeah, and it's it actually spends, a you know, while having a lot of action in the book, uh, spends a lot of time with Superman and Superboy kind of talking some shit out. Mm-hmm. Which is nice. I, I I rather enjoyed that. Yeah, I think it's written by Tom DeFalco, mm-hmm. and who, I love uh, Tom DeFalco. Yeah, great writer. Yeah, and uh, and I, I I thought it was a pretty good annual. I thought it was definitely worth you know the price of admission because um, I think the annuals I believe I believe it was four ninety nine. I bought yeah. it digitally, so I yeah, don't remember. It is is four ninety nine. But I thought it was good. Well, and it, and it did what an annual should do. It should be an event book. It should it should stand out from the rest. It should contribute to your overall understanding of the character, but it should stand out apart from the rest of the story. And this is absolutely a book you could have picked up without having read the Hell on Earth story because they, they tell you everything you need to know. You, you know, know, Aaron, you made a comment about uh, the storyline not helping endear Supergirl to the readers. Uh-huh. 
It's doing the opposite for Superboy. Absolutely. I could have cared less about him before this story. Yeah. I, I read the first two issues of Superboy in the New 52 and dropped it like a hot potato. And now I'm like, well, I'm going to have to go back and read some other books because I'm really digging what I'm reading. Yeah, same here. I actually went and bought the trade from Amazon Kindle um, of the, the first Superboy trade because his character is – he's becoming more like the Connor Kent that I know, you right. know? Um and that's not the way they introduced him, and maybe that was the point. But I think to a certain extent, when you make your characters unlikable at the beginning, yeah, it's really hard to want to stay around for them to be likable. You know, in a two-hour movie, it's one thing. On a monthly basis, when it takes a year for your character to be likable, I'm probably not going to stay around a year right. buying well, your book. And what was funny about the book is that you're getting to hear how Superman, what Superman thinks of Superboy, and you're getting to hear what Superboy thinks of Superman, and they're both sharing that feedback to each other. And you know, Superboy is all over Superman. You lecture, you lecture a lot, and so I mean, the whole it's the running gag through the book is Superman's like, I don't lecture. And what I find interesting about it is I don't find that Superman lectures in the New Fifty Two, but certainly he did pre New Fifty Two. And it's again, it's this big change that's occurring with Superman. He is becoming more the character that I knew and loved prior to the New Fifty Two versus what was originally launched a year and a half ago. Do you yeah. think now I will that's say partially he in, because they won the lawsuit. Yeah, maybe, probably, <laughs> maybe. Yeah, and I do think that um, Tom DeFalco, the way he wrote Superman in the right. Superboy Annual, felt oh, absolutely more like a pre New Fifty Two Superman. Yes, no, Tom, Tom, I. I really enjoy Tom DeFalco. He he is, uh, you know, he's been a writer who's been around for a good long while, and he just writes some really solid books. I particularly like it when he's teamed up with Ron Friends. Um, uh, of course, you know, Ron's not on this book, but you know, Tom DeFalco's voice runs throughout the book strongly. And even though you've got this, you know, corral of artists that are working the book, all of that works really well together because each one of them is kind of taking a piece of the different worlds that uh, Superboy and Superman yeah, are running through. there's a good break through. in between. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, I totally dug this. And then it brings you right back to Hell on Earth at the end of the book. And, I mean, I, I think that continuity-wise it fits well together, but it also reads well on its own. Yeah, I'm actually really looking forward to. Uh, I think it's Superman next sixteen uh-huh. is the next part. I'm really looking forward to it, especially that yeah. new character, the Oracle, the big space giant thing. Yeah, I'm curious yeah, to see how that plays in. That space giant thing looks badass. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm just like okay, I'm down for that. Yeah, yeah I, I, Hell on Earth has done a tr- fantastic job of bringing me back onto the Superman books because I was reading none of them, and now I'm reading all of them except Action. Yeah, yeah which I was you'll probably get it to eventually. Yeah, I was only reading Supergirl, and I've been buying Superboy and all of the Superman titles. Yeah, here's the thing: I'm I'm planning on buying them for the foreseeable future. Right. You know, like after the storyline ends, it's not like it's not like Green Lantern Corps. Right. Where I buy it just when it's in a uh, or Green Lantern New Guardians, where I buy it when it's just in a crossover. Like after this, I'm like, okay, well, I'm also going to see what Superboy is like after the crossover too. Yeah, because as far as the Green Lantern books crossover wise go, I'm buying Core. Because of the crossover, I would never buy it otherwise. Yeah, New exactly. Guardians. I'm, New Guardians is my book, but in your case, it sounds like it's not. No, no. Green Lantern is the only one I'm buy, I would normally buy, and sometimes it's painful to buy those other books, but it's not in Hell on Earth. Um, now DC also has its other crossover going on, so we're on our third crossover <laughs> of, of, of the show, mind you. Um, Death of the Family uh, continued this week in Nightwing number sixteen. Um, featuring uh, Dick Grayson taking on the Joker and uh, the Joker's attack on Haley's circus. 
And uh, Aaron, you hadn't been reading Nightwing, so I know you got caught up this week. What did you think of the of the uh, Nightwing tie-in issues? Well, you know, I hadn't been reading Nightwing because I wasn't jazzed about the first couple of issues uh, in the launch of the New 52, so I jumped out. Um, but God dang it, you know, I was listening to uh, Fat Man on Batman's interview with uh, Kyle Higgins, mm-hmm. and it was a two-part interview, and it's just a fantastic interview. And I got to tell you, you know, if you sit a writer down and they're passionate about their project, they will sell you on what they're doing. And so I'm like, all right, damn it. You know, I'm enjoying Death of the Family. This Kyle Higgins guy sounds like he knows what he's doing. So I went back and I picked up both issues 15 and 16. And I got to tell you, loved them. Loved them, loved them, loved them. I I really like uh, what he's doing with Nightwing. And I'm going to have to go back and pick up the hardcovers for Nightwing because I, I, I thought this was so well done. Yeah, I'm with you, Aaron. This uh, the Death of the Family tie-in for Nightwing may be my favorite of the tie-ins. I mean, it's running neck and neck with the Batgirl one because I'm really enjoying the Batgirl one. And in both cases, I hadn't read the main title that leads up to this, and I'm thinking about going back and picking up yeah. issues leading up to it. Yeah, I, I I dug it, and I mean, I even dug. I, I I shared before when we first started talking about New Fifty Two and Nightwing. Um, I, I I don't much care for circus stories, you know. Just it's something you know irritates me about them, and the the circus aspects of this book didn't bother me at all. So uh, Kyle Higgins did a really good job of selling me on his book, and like I said, I read these two issues, and they are expertly drawn by Eddie Barrows, uh, and I thought the story was fantastic. Now, you know, everyone has been talking about you know this is the definitive Nightwing Joker story. I don't think so. Yeah, I don't feel that way about it. But it is very strong. It's just not something I think I'm going to go back and go, oh, yeah, you remember that with Death with Nightwing and the Joker? Holy shit. Yeah, yeah. that's not coming. I think I think what we are getting, though, is a Batgirl, another Batgirl Joker story. See, you know? but I disagree. On, I, I think out of all the books, because I mean, right now all the tie-ins other than Teen Titans are done. Mm-hmm. And I think what we've seen in Batgirl, what I've seen in all of them so far – Unless something significant happens in Batman number 17, I don't see that these titles are going to be drastically altered by Death of the Family, except for Nightwing. No, I do. I think it's the definitive Nightwing story. Do I think it's Nightwing's killing joke? No. No. Um, it, it's certainly not of, of that, that count. However, as someone who has read Nightwing Monthly since the beginning, this is a drastic change to everything they've been building up to for the first 15 issues or really? 14 issues. Yeah. And I mean, the first 14 issues were all about him taking over the circus, bringing it back to Gotham. He, he spent his entire inheritance on, um, on, on building the park again and, you know, amusement mile and, and making it a permanent fixture in Gotham. And that, that was all up in, up through issue 14 and then death of the family happened. And, uh, spoiler warnings on, I mean, everything he basically spent all his money on Joker blew up. Right. Now, of course he, you know, he's still related to, he, he, he can still just ask Bruce for some money when well, he could be insured. Yeah, so <laughs> <laughs> what I'm wondering about is we've seen this Joker, the Joker gas that changes people has been killing them. So I have to wonder, did Joker kill everyone in the circus? Yeah, and, the, and that I, cast has been there the entire time, too. So I yeah. mean, if this is a come issue 17 for Nightwing, his supporting cast, his whole thing, the whole storyline will have been drastically changed. And I don't feel that way about Batgirl. And we know there's some definitive deaths already in Nightwing, you know, and one of them having uh, a message scrawled onto her stomach carved into it. Yeah. I mean, I think I have to see the next part of this to see if it's going to be a definitive Nightwing story. But if everyone in the circus was killed, then I think it could very well be a definitive Nightwing Joker story. 
And I have to say, when I was uh, when I picked it up, I was left wondering. I knew Nightwing had to somehow be defeated, so he could be dragged in front of Joker, and Joker could reveal the platter. It, I expected that going in because that's how all of them are ending. Mm-hmm. But I kept wondering, how is he going to take Nightwing out? And when I read this, that's that's a good way to take Nightwing out. Yeah, and I mean, I it's, love, it's, a darn, it's a darn good book. Yeah, and I love the the little girl with the spike hammer. Ugh. I don't know anything <laughs> about this character, but that was just cool. Just here you go. Ouch. <laughs> yeah, it was a good book. I, I, I'm, I'm in. I, I, I dug it. So... Yeah, you know, I'm 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 excited about where this is going. So let's hop on over to Marvel and talk about some Marvel Now books. Um, so we're hopping out of crossovers and let's talk about Young Avengers number one from Kieran Gillen and Jamie McKelvey, um, the creative team from Phonogram and Siege Loki. Um, first issue, Young Avengers. It's the first Young Avengers book. I well, no, I mean it's. Uh, there have been others, but you know, Young Avengers typically associated with uh, Jim Chung and uh, Heinberg. Who was the writer? Heinberg, Alan yeah. Heinberg. And so, you know, Kieran Gillen has taken the reins in the first Young Avengers ongoing series. So, Aaron, as someone who recently read Children's Crusade, um, what'd you think of uh, this direction for the Young Avengers? Well, I got to say, I was disappointed in uh, the first couple of pages because you know, Katie Bishop gave it up to uh you know uh, novar and uh, i thought she was saving herself for hawkeye so yeah was, what's up with that that that, yeah. that actually I, I agree with you that actually bugged me a little bit because they're setting up that romance in hawkeye yeah and i'm like what a whore yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> i mean not not that clint barton isn't also a man whore this but is true. uh you know i was just i was i was like oh i was kind of you know all right well but i mean that doesn't mean that that uh you know that won't still happen over in hawkeye but yeah uh, she just won't tell hawkeye because i mean she does say a part of her thinks that th- that she should be ashamed yeah yeah um so uh i liked this book a lot i liked this book a whole lot um it, the artwork took a little while to get used to. Um, it was just a, it was a, uh, I don't know even how to describe it. It was just, it just had a different flair to it than, uh, uh, you know, the Heinberg stuff did under, you know, Children's Crusade and, and the, the previous Young Avengers books. Um, it was very tidy, um, you know, very neat lines. Um, it's an but, indie book. It reads, it, it, it feels does. Like it, an feel, indie book. it does feel like an indie book, almost like a Jaime Hernandez kind of book, you know, a Love and Rockets. Yeah, exactly. That is exactly how it felt in in the L- illustration. Now that said, I thought it worked for it, though I was a little creeped out by Novar dancing in his underwear uh, in front of Kate Bishop. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but he likes jazz, Aaron. Yeah, but uh, yeah, um, but you know, the I wasn't sure how I was feeling about the book until you know. <laughs> the really bad thing happens, you know, and, and you know, you know that this is going to end badly. You know, when, when the magician is sitting down and he's looking at other realities and he's like, huh, I can bring my uh, boyfriend's dead mom back. This always ends well. And, <laughs> uh, you know, so I, I think we now have the uh, tragic origin story for Wiccan developing because uh, I see bad things. I, I, I think this may very well have been my book of the week. I absolutely loved – I love the book. I love the interactions. I have questions. I yeah. have no idea who this Miss America character is that uh, that showed up to fight uh, Kid Loki. I don't know any of the details on Kid Loki because I haven't read any of that yet. Yeah. But 
still, I loved, I really loved the uh, the Wiccan and uh, Hulkling interactions. I like that last page quite a bit as oh, well. The, God, that last what page is, yeah. Yeah, and what it means for the story. Yeah. And I got a huge kick out of uh, Kate's, just her inner monologue as she's dealing with those scenes. I mean, I, this is what I want out of a young Avengers book. I want teen drama. I want, you know, some superhero action and just really strong dialogue. Yeah. And that's what this book gave me. Well, and this, this book did what a first issue needs to do. It told you who all the characters are. And then it, it established a, a big surprise ending at the end of the book is bringing you back for number two. Yeah, I mean, I, uh, there's all yeah. sorts of unanswered questions. Like you oh, said, yeah. Miss America. You know, what is Kid Loki doing here? And some of those are a little bit clearer for anyone who read the Marvel Now point one, because mm-hmm. um, that does introduce Miss America. Uh, now, but it, you know, as far as Loki, I mean, that's not Kid Loki anymore. That that that's uh, adult Loki, Loki and Kid Loki's skin. Hmm. So I'm I'm very, I'm very curious as to how that's going to play in the story, and they didn't really get into that at all. This was really mostly a, a Wiccan and Hulkling issue, and rightfully so. They're they're the original Young Avengers, you know. And uh, Aaron, you made a good comment there about it tells you who the characters are. Yeah, I would say it showed us who they were. Yeah, absolutely. A lot of first issues give you a lot of back backstory and a lot of you know text about who they are. Mm-hmm. It put each one of these characters that it showed us into a situation where they could show us who their character was instead of seeing it. You saw Kate being, you know, a completely powerless character jumping right into the action. You saw the relationship between Hulkling and Wiccan. You saw Wiccan making a stupid mistake and Hulkling trying to be a hero. And then you like as you go through as you meet each of these characters, they're actually doing something that is in character and shows you who these characters are instead of them just telling us who they are. Yeah. yeah. No, I'm I, just, I, I will say one qualm. Oh, here we go. I'm, I'm a little ready to move on from Wiccan does something stupid. Yeah, that's true. I mean, that, we see a lot of that in the young Avengers books. He's yeah. a teenager and he's doing it for love. Of course, it's going to be stupid. Do you remember all the stupid things you would have done as a teenager for true, love? True. And I, I, and I, you know, out of love, I, I would do. That's another point I want to mention. As far as a, a positive for the book, very mature take on uh, on a gay relationship, and in, in, in a in a book that has Avengers on the cover. Yeah, you know, it doesn't shy away from that. So I, I thought that was that was pretty awesome of it. No, I thought it was very well done. Very well done. It was it was it was tasteful and real. And I even enjoyed, uh, you know, Hulkling's mom's reaction to all of that. Because oh, I yeah. think that's a very real reaction. You know, it's yeah. it's not she didn't come down the stairs, you know, uh, gay hating on him. It was like, I'm not comfortable with my son shacking up with your son, you know, my teenage son. Uh, and then, of course, other things happen. Um, <laughs> I'm not I, I, comfortable with him even, you know, even dating. Let right. Him yeah. Living with him. Yeah. No, I, I dug it. I thought this was a really good book. Yeah. Well, speaking I'm, of superhero books with an indie flair to them. Uh huh. Did I just cut you off, Aaron? No, you did not. Oh, okay. Um, oh, FF it, number three. You'll know if you've cut me off, Paul. <laughs> you'll say, well, <laughs> what I was trying to say was... <laughs> no one else will, though, because Aaron does the editing. True. <laughs> <laughs> sure. So FF number three, Matt Fraction, Mike Allred, came out this week. And uh, Aaron and I read it. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, I, I have to say I read some of it. Oh. Yeah, I hated this book. Really? I got seven pages in and had to put it down. Wow. I I am so glad I dropped off hearing that, Aaron, because I, I wasn't sure. 
I love Mike Alred. I cannot stand his work on this book. I, really? I, I, the artwork was impenetrable to me. I, God, I hated it. Um, and I think a lot of it's got to do with the fact, uh, I think it's finishing. Um, and, and it looks like Mike Alred's doing his own inking on this book and Laura Alred's doing the coloring. I, so it, it, it all seems like, you know, it's all in the house. Um, but damn, I hated this book. I mean, I just, wow. I, I, there are characters I can't bear to look at. I don't like the way they're drawn so badly. I quite enjoyed this book, actually. I, you know, and I'm sure it's a taste thing, you know, meaning that uh, you don't have any. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's well established. <laughs> no, I, I think I think it may be a taste thing. And again, I like Mike Alred. I love his Madman books, but uh, I just, I, man, I could not get through this. Now that doesn't mean I'm not going to give it another shot. But you know, and maybe maybe I'll change my mind on it. But wow, when I was trying to read this this week, I could not get past the uh, Mole Man page. You know, you know, on uh, on uh, page seven, I just couldn't get past it, and I was like, you know, I'm kind of done trying, so I'll come back to it and, and see if see if it, you know, improves for me. But wow, sure did hate it. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm sorry to hear that because I, I did quite enjoy it. In fact, once once I finished it, I'm like, I think I'm going to drop Fantastic Four and just keep this title now that really? they're not tied wow. in together because I'm not I enjoying Fantastic Four. I think it's oh, just I I'm the opposite, Paul. I wasn't enjoying FF, and I was enjoying Fantastic Four. So I dropped FF, and I'm sticking on Fantastic Four. See, but I don't like Mark Bagley, and you guys like Mark Bagley. See, and I, I like both of them. <laughs> <laughs> I just so, I, yeah. I yeah. Give it another shot because I, uh, I, I, I think it's worth it's worth getting through. Yeah, I, I will. I, you know, I, I've spent the money. It's here, so you know, I'll give it another shot. But wow, I sure did not enjoy what I've read so far. Well, let's talk about something we can agree on then. Yes, sir. Hopefully. Okay. Before Watchmen and Minutemen number six. Holy, that was a good book. Written and drawn by Darwin Cook, who we talked about earlier in the show. Yeah. Just a fantastic, fantastic end. Beginning to end, this was a strong, strong book. I, I didn't see the end coming. Either. Well, yeah, you remember when we talked about it last time, you know, we were I felt like uh, we weren't getting the full story on Hooded Justice that, you know, he, it wasn't what it seemed. And sure enough, it wasn't what it seemed. But I'll tell you, as I was reading the book about halfway in, you feel like you've gotten to the ending. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was like, huh. So, you know, I, I was right. You know, I was wrong You know, at that point I, that Hooded Justice was the bad guy. And then you get it all explained to you. And yeah, I, because they, they end the main storyline, right? And then they start with the splash pages yeah. of all the yeah, of all the modern like Watchmen. And, and I'm like, oh, like, the rest of the book's going to be that. Yeah, it's winding down. And then, bam, you know, punch to the gut. I mean, I, I loved it. I, I thought this book was so well done. When you wake up and find the comedian sitting in your living room petting your dog, I'm sorry, that's terrifying. Yeah. I mean, it ended with a punch to the gut as big as a punch to the gut. Of the original, the punch to the gut of the original Watchmen. I yeah, think. yeah. I mean, and the ending was that impactful. Yeah. Well, and the whole, you know, there's that menace that Darwin Cook did so well, and you know, a lot of it has to do with you know, we know the comedian, we know know how awful he is, you know, so a lot of that's established. But he draws these beautiful pages where the comedian is petting uh, uh, Night Owl's dog. And you know, you he, he's not saying I'm going to kill your dog if you you know if things go badly here, but that's what he's communicating. And yeah, it's, and it's that, that that steady stroke of the dog from panel to panel, and you're like, holy shit! 
<laughs> and, and the dog's completely unaware of what's going on. But, you know, you can see his hand, you know, it's up to you on how this goes. <laughs> and it was so well done. Each panel is just gorgeous, is just gorgeous. And when you find out what's happened, and I don't, won't ruin it for anybody, you know, it, it's just heartache. It, it's heartache is what this is. And then the decisions that, that Night Owl makes based on that, uh, you I mean, it really does supplement, broaden, and I would say enrich what we got out of the original Watchmen series. Agreed. I mean, because the way the story wraps up, speaking as mild, spoilerly as I can, I was like, what? Yeah. Really? That was it? Yeah. But there's an explanation for it. Yeah. You know, I mean, it, it's just, it is so, there's an explanation for everything. Um, and it's, it is not what. It, it's it's not necessarily the explanation that's going to make you happy. Yeah. But that's the point. Yeah. Well, and Darwin Cook did such an amazing job of picking up all of these dangling threads that you might not have even realized were dangling threads from the original Watchmen series. Mm-hmm. And then making an amazing story out of it. I, I, I Paul, I cannot wait till this is collected. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I'm going to pick this up. This is, you know, we talked about waiting on hardcovers, you know, till they go to a 50% off sale or something. This is a hardcover I will buy when it comes out. Damn straight. Um, absolutely. I, it just far and away the best of the before Watchmen books and just as good as the original Watchmen, in my opinion. Yeah, no, I, I and in some cases, I mean, I, I know this is this is hard to say. In some cases, I enjoyed it more. You know, it is, it is a book I will be likely to read more often than the original Watchmen. Well, it, I, it has more rereadability. To well, me. and I, I got to say, I am eager to read it in in tandem with the Watchmen series. You know, to read Watchmen and then read this. You know, I'm and, still amazed that it's become this big of a book for you guys. I mean, <sighs> I really hated that first issue. Yeah, I, I, it's 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 fantastic, Wayne. It is it, it is. You know, Darwin Cook, when when this guy sets his mind to it, and not only, I mean, I've not read a, a single bad thing that he's done, but man, I mean, this is just, uh, this is a, a stellar piece of comic book work. I just don't know how that first issue, as bad as it was, could lead into a good book. Well, you and I disagree, because I found that first issue fantastic, so uh, <laughs> I, I don't know how to help you out there, other than to say the first issue was setting the table, and everything else has been eating the dinner. Yeah, I, I just oh God, this book is fantastic, and I, I'm going to miss it. You know, this has been you know six supremely strong issues. I'm going to miss this book. Yeah, absolutely. Out of all the before Watchmen books, yeah. and they here's the thing: whether they've been good or bad, they've all been quality books. Yeah, and that's something that I don't think anyone expected. Yeah, no. Even yeah. us, even as excited as we were for some of the aspects of it, I don't think any of us expected that they would be all high quality books. Yeah, and uh, this is just this this is an amazing book. I, I really can't recommend it enough. And yeah. uh, Darwin Cook, man, that guy, I, I will buy anything he does. Yeah, yeah, no, I, he 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 has uh, a hold on my wallet. <laughs> I, I I am absolutely in for Darwin Cook stuff. You know, he he has shown me, you know, from DC New Frontier to the Parker books to his work on Catwoman uh, and here on Watchmen. I, Darwin Cook is just amazing, mm-hmm. and he's so oh, versatile. I mean, he does. Chance? I'm sorry, I didn't. I was going to ask, did you ever get a chance to read that Superman story I sent you? No, I have not. It's sitting right here, but I have not read it yet. Yeah, it's worth worth reading too. Yeah, no, I love his stuff. Love his stuff. So, Aaron. Yes, sir. 
We talked about J.J. Abrams at the beginning of the show. Yes. Now, his upcoming Star Trek movie, Star Trek Into Darkness, I believe comes out in June? Something like that. Something like that. Maybe May. Um, And IDW is counting down to it with Star Trek Countdown to Darkness. Now, for those of you who don't remember, IDW also had a Star Trek Countdown series leading up to the J.J. Abrams' first movie, 2009 Star Trek, um, which, if you read it actually helped the movie make more sense yes absolutely <laughs> um yeah, the movie yeah. actually did a little contradiction but if you ignore the little contradiction it actually explains spock's place in the in their time frame a hell of a lot better than the movie does absolutely and it explains why that ship was so powerful right yeah i, I mean it, it was just a a great story i i feel bummed that they didn't incorporate it more into the movie but you know if you've read it or haven't read it you know just really good and so i'm hopeful that star trek countdown to darkness will do much the same well and i picked it up and first i have to say that idw has done an amazing job with their star trek uh titles i mean i i have enjoyed just about everything i've pulled from idw on their star trek books since they took on the license they've just been fantastic whether it's you know original series stuff next generation stuff or the star trek 2009 universe where they're doing ongoing missions uh, it's all been fantastic so i came into countdown to darkness with pretty high expectations and man i was not disappointed um, it very much picks up the story. You know, the characters are very much the same from the ongoing series, uh, but it picks up more of the story from the Star Trek 2009. You know, Spock is still haunted by what happened to both his mother and his home world, um, and we've got these these this great story of the Enterprise going out on a mission and things going a little off. Um, if you are a longtime Star Trek fan. There's a there's a little reward for you in this book because a a character that was never featured in TV or the films but was featured in uh, uh, old scripts and uh, uh, some of the uh, Star Trek backstory uh, shows up in the pages of this book and uh, again the artwork is amazing in the book the story is amazing in the book uh, I really dug it I highly recommend it yeah I, I you know I don't know. Uh, we're not going to spoil who the character is yeah. on the show um, that they reveal at the end. I- I'm not familiar with him mm-hmm. um, because I'm not as versed in the lore as you are. Yeah. That being said, I thought it was a damn good book. I yeah. think it's a good story. You know, it, and because even though the characters don't look like the actors, they you know right. they're, they're not you know the the which is in my mind sometimes more preferable mm-hmm. when you know who the when you know who the characters are but they don't try to do the photorealistic thing right um yeah it's know, easy you, it's you, easier to lose yourself in the story that way exactly you know i you know even with that they felt like the characters that i understood from the movie you know ohora felt like ohora and her relationship with spock seemed like the logical next place for it to go right after the movie that kind of stuff you know well and i i was amused that not the, the, the characters read the same, but also the feel and the environment of the book is very much the same as the films. I mean, did you notice all the lens flares, for instance? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's <laughs> hysterical. I mean, it looks like J.J. Abrams, you know, directed the comic. You know, Which I, is I, how it should feel. You know? Yeah. I mean, it, 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 so, it, sh- I, it, it should fit into that visual universe, and it does. 
You know, I, I, I dug it. I really enjoyed it. And I, I knew that I would, you know, because IDW has been so respectful of the property. You know, they are they have made a point of making sure that the artists who work on these books can draw spaceships and that the artists who work on this book can you know really capture the Star Trek feel. Um, you know, I'll, I, previous iterations, you know, both at Marvel and at DC have not done such a good job of that. And IDW is making sure that, that, that these pages are as lovingly drawn as what Dark Horse is doing with Star Wars. Mm-hmm. You know, I, 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 the, the pages are fantastic. Agreed. And I'm definitely looking forward to, uh, to the rest of the storyline. Yeah. I think it's a four-issue series. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and, I think it's going to be great. And it's going to lead us right on up to that movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I, really, very strong book. Agreed. Yeah. So, Paul. So, yes, sir. Tell me what's coming out next week. All right. So, next week, we have... Batman and Robin annual number one from Pete Tomasi and Artie and Saif mm-hmm. uh, should be pretty interesting. It doesn't tie into any current crossovers. It's not a death of the family tie-in. It's, it's a, a Bruce Wayne, Damian Wayne story, but should be good. Uh, we also have Aquaman 16, the next part of the throne of Atlantis storyline, uh, Batman, the dark Knight number six, uh, number 16 uh, from the new creative team of Greg Hurwitz and Ethan Van Skyver. Mm-hmm. Um, Flash number 16, considering the Guerrilla Warfare storyline. Green Lantern Corps Annual, featuring the conclusion of the Rise of the Third Army storyline. Yep, I'll be picking that one up. Injustice Gods Among Us, if you have not been picking it up digitally, the first print issue comes out next week. Uh, Superman number 16, continuing Hell on Earth. Um, also next week, Dark um, Darkness number 110 and Invincible number 100 from Image Comics. Hawkeye number seven, which is the Hurricane Sandy uh, relief effort issue where the proceeds go to Hurricane Sandy uh, and Superior Spider-Man number two. So tons of stuff next week. Very exciting. And also um, for Justice League fans or for people who did not read the second arc of Justice League done by Jim Lee, the villain's journey that Wayne and I really enjoyed so much. Right. The hardcover comes out next week. Oh, good deal. Mm-hmm. Good deal. All kinds of good stuff. Oh, yeah. All right, All right guys. guys. <laughs> you owe me a Coke. <laughs> Jinx. <laughs> you owe me a Coke. <laughs> if you were here, Paul, I'd punch you in the shoulder. That's what I would do. That you know, Punch in the shoulder, you'd owe me a Coke. If so. you punched me in the shoulder, I'd kick you in the nuts. I don't think so. I don't I think, think so. I think that's easy to happen if you're the god. I, I don't think so because, you know, what I've got, Paul, I've got that eye of the tiger. and, uh, <laughs> and You'd do a Matrix backflip. That's right. That's right. That would totally happen. (laughs) (laughs) All right, guys. We'll talk to you later. Catch you later. Bye. Podcast theme music graciously provided by Mark Andrew Pope. For more information, visit markandrewpope.com. Funny Books with Aaron and Polly is a production of ideologyofmadness.com. No Spider-Man clones were harmed in the production of this podcast. actor.